Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Ephesians chapter 5, last week as we were looking at verses 15 through 20, we talked about the paradoxes that are in life, the tension that's in Scripture, and even the ones that show up in this passage of Scripture. We, we have evil days that it talks about in verse 16, but then it says that we are to give thanks and be thankful in everything. So you, and, and there's several of these tensions that are in this section of Scripture, but honestly, they're in all of Scripture. These things where on the one hand, you have a picture of something that seems pretty dark and grim and difficult. On the other hand, you have the Lord speaking into that situation and saying, no, it's, there's light. It's brighter than you realize. There's a different way. There's a different path. So we talked about that in the midst of the paradoxes. Right in the middle of that in verse 18 is the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the need to recognize the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, as the one who makes sense out of the paradoxes. He's the one that brings balance in this, this tension that we might feel at times, in this tug of war that's going on. And I, I told you last week we were going to dig deeper into this whole subject of who the Holy Spirit is. Today, the message is the Holy Spirit is. Dot, dot, dot. The Holy Spirit is. And Holy Spirit, I ask today that you would help us see you. Nothing more, nothing less, just to see you today. Reveal to us what we do not know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. You're very familiar with it. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that is excess, that is riotous. There are different ways that that word is translated. It literally means in the Greek, unsavedness. It's the opposite of the word, the Greek word that we use for salvation or for save, sozo. It's the opposite of that. And so it literally means there's there's no salvation in this kind of excess. doesn't mean you're lost if you ever got drunk. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there's no salvation to be found in being filled in this way, being saturated. So the word really is soaked. We say we're soaked with wine. We're soaked with drink. We're soaked with other other things of this world. And he says, there's no salvation in that. But be filled, be soaked, be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. The, the verb, the language here is keep on continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit, being saturated with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? And, and for some, who is the Holy Spirit? I'll be honest with you, until 15 years ago, the Holy Spirit was a theological concept to me. Until 15 years ago, that's it. I knew about him in the sense that he's part of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I knew that. I didn't, I didn't dispute it, but it was simply intellectual knowledge to me. Now, you say, wait a second, weren't you saved before 15 years ago? Yes, I was. I was saved. So he was working in me. I just didn't know who he was. I didn't understand who he is. I want to share some of that with you today. And one of the best places to do that is to go to what Jesus said just before he's crucified. Because some of the greatest insight we have into the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus himself. So if you look with me over in John 14, we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus... We want to understand who the Holy Spirit is. Let's look at what Jesus said. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. 
Now, again, here's another very familiar verse. When I read this, you're going to recognize, most of you are going to recognize this. If you love me, what does the rest of it say? Keep my commandments. That's right. Of course, you had a little help. It was on the overhead. But anyway, I still gonna, I'm going to give you credit for it. All right. If you love me, keep my commandments. You've heard that before today, right? Do you know what the next verse says without looking? I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I propose to you this morning that we've tried to keep commandments without the power of the Holy Spirit and it's not possible. And Jesus knew that. He knew that you couldn't keep on loving him, which is what the Greek verb here is. Keep on loving. If you keep on loving me, you'll keep on keeping my commandments. It's the same verbiage that's used over in Ephesians chapter 5. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll keep on loving me. If you keep on loving me, you'll keep my commandments. But if you miss the first part, you're going to miss the last part. And I spent much of my Christian life trying to keep commandments in my own strength and my own power. Maybe you have as well. It's frustrating. It's exhausting. And ultimately, it leads you to a place either you just quit altogether or often we develop this facade. I'm one way when I'm with my Christian friends or when I'm at church, but I'm another way when I'm somewhere else. Samuel Chadwick, and I have quoted this often, but it's a quote worth remembering. The old Methodist pastor said, the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit isn't difficult, it is impossible. It's impossible. You cannot live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. So he goes on and he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the ESV translation. That's also the New American Standard translation. Your Bible may have a difference. Some Bibles translate it advocate. Some translate it counselor. Some translate it comforter. All of these are caught up in this word paraclete or parakletos. The, the, you have all of these ideas. I like helper. Okay. Um, I guess maybe because I like the ESV, but I like helper. I like that translation. The others are not bad, but I like that. This whole idea, you, Jesus said, I have a helper for you. Instead of you trying to prove that you love me by just gritting your teeth and trying to keep my commandments, I want to give you a helper. And this helper is just like me with some minor differences, and he'll talk about those. Now, even the spirit of truth, this is talking about the Holy Spirit, even the spirit of truth. By the way, Jesus is also truth, right? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. So this spirit that, that he says, this helper is just like him, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right, one of the things that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit, Jesus talks about him. And he says, I'm going to send him. I'm going to ask the Father to send him to you when I leave. And he's not just going to be around you. He's going to be in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not just around you to kind of come alongside, because that's part of that meaning of paraclete as well. You come alongside he does come alongside, but he doesn't just come alongside. He's in you. He's in me if we are believers in Jesus Christ. God himself residing in us. Now look with me a little bit further in the chapter. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you're going to wrestle with this idea because the disciples had gotten used to walking with Jesus. If they had a question, they asked Jesus. If they didn't know how to do something, they asked Jesus. If they were curious about how you actually do what Jesus said, they'd watch Jesus. Matter of fact, one of the things that we have record of in Scripture is he was, Jesus was praying. He prayed often. The disciples didn't know how to pray the way Jesus prayed. So they came and said, said Jesus, would you teach us to pray the way you pray? So they had him. He was there. But he's leaving. He knows he's leaving. They still haven't caught on yet, even though he's told them repeatedly. But he says, the Holy Spirit's going to be with you and in you, and he's going to teach you all things. He'll say later on in a later section of Scripture, he'll teach you, he'll bring to your mind all the things that I have said to you. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to be the one to cause you to remember what you've forgotten. Have you ever had that experience? You're in a conversation or you're involved in something and that something will come to your mind. You can't even remember, you can't remember exactly all the details around it, but it comes into your mind at exactly the right moment. And, and you're thinking, I haven't thought about that in forever. I hadn't, and that thought had not even crossed my mind or that situation or that example hadn't even been there. This morning is case in point. Psalm 20, verse 7. I hadn't thought about that verse in a long, long time, though I've read it many times. But as we're worshiping, the Holy Spirit brings to my remembrance. He reminds me of something that I knew or saw or read, but I'm not consciously aware of. He loves to speak in that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus is giving us a clue into how the Holy Spirit is going to work in our life. He's going to teach us, and he's going to cause us to remember. So there's a lot of things he's going to bring to our mind. That's what he does. Now, I also realize the enemy can bring things to our mind. So there has to be a way to discern and all that. And we'll talk more about that as we go along in the next couple of weeks, talking about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's going to bring things to your mind. Learn to pay attention. Learn to be listening and looking for them. And he's going to cause you to remember and to see things in a clearer way than you've seen them before. Notice what he says here. He says, he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Over the last couple of days, this was made real to me. I told you that last year, toward the end of last year, I really had this sense that the Lord was saying, I want you to do two services. And as I've told you before, I have been the biggest opponent of two services in this church. All right. Most of you were counting on the fact we would never do two services because pastor hates the idea so much. All right. And I do. And I did. And the Lord keeps stirring and working. And I've shared with you the story. I went to the elders and had them begin to pray with me. And then when we sat down to talk about it, I'm convinced. I just know. Do you know how rare a thing it is to get seven men on any subject to agree the first time? Do you know how rare that is? It rarely ever happens. Rarely. And I go around and I'm counting on one of them at least to say, no, this is a bad idea. Then I'm thinking, great, we can wait and pray a while. Let's pray another year or two, all right? Until we can sort through all of this. Every single one of them says, it's not necessarily something I want to do. It's something I have a sense from the Lord we should do. And so we, go, we do it. We bring it to you. We talk about it. Today is the first day that we're doing this, that we're having two services. 
By the way, it hasn't been horrible. All right? I'm, I'm grateful. It hasn't been bad. What we did not know last year or even a month ago was what the world would look like today. We did not know what the CDC guidelines would be. We didn't know what state governors would be asking and local governments would be asking. We didn't know that. But the Holy Spirit didn't. I look at it, as a matter of fact, this week I've been overwhelmed again. It's like, you're causing me to remember what the Lord said to us. And why, he said. So often, the Holy Spirit will do this in your life. There will be an obedience to what the Lord is saying. And then you will look back later and he will remind you, remember when you obeyed here and you didn't understand it? This is what I was doing. This is at least a part of what I was doing. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Wouldn't you like to have God doing that in your life? All right. He goes on. Look with me in chapter 16. Chapter 16, Jesus keeps talking about the Holy Spirit. Now again, remember, this is right before he dies. This is his conversation with his disciples. This is right before he's going to the cross. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. They didn't believe him. And quite honestly, I think sometimes we don't either. It is to our advantage that Jesus left. It's to our advantage. You say, why is that? Because when Jesus was here in bodily form, he was subject to limitations just like you and I are. When he's in that human form, just like you and me, we can't be everywhere at the same time. We sometimes try, we get exhausted and have breakdowns, but we cannot be everywhere at the same time. We cannot think about everything at the same time. We cannot know everything. But Jesus says, I'll leave. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to be ever interceding on your behalf. I'm going to be seated at the right hand, ever interceding on your behalf. But it's better for you that I go. Because if I go, then the Father sends the Holy Spirit. And he can be everywhere in everyone who believes at the same time. He can do that because he's spirit. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, this is really important because this is foundational to who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Jesus tells you he's going to convict the world. Another way you could translate it is he's going to convince. Sometimes we think of convict as a bad word, but conviction is not a bad word. To have a conviction about something is not bad. But another way you could say it, he's going to convince of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. Now, I was taught my whole life. I preached for most of my ministry. He's going to convict you of sin when you're in sin or when you commit sin. He's going to convict you that you need to be righteous. You need to try harder to do better, all right, and live a righteous life. And then he's going to tell you, if you don't sh shape up, judgment's coming, all right? You're going to get it, and he's going to whack you, all right? Now, that's simplified form, but in basic, in basic terms... That's what I believed and taught. There's only one problem with that. That's not what the passage says. That's not what it says at all. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So let's keep reading. Because Jesus is going to tell you what he means when he says he's going to convince you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. He says he will, verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. 
How did you and I get saved? By faith. How did you come to have faith? By believing. How did you come to even know you needed faith? It was a gift. Who gave the gift? The Holy Spirit. Do you realize that no one in this room, matter of fact, no one in the world comes to Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit? No one. He convinces us that we need Jesus. That we are separated by sin. And that Jesus has died for that sin. And that we can believe and receive. The Holy Spirit does that. Preachers don't do that. Evangelists don't do that. Teachers don't do that. Even lay people don't do that. The Holy Spirit does that. He convinces that I'm in sin and I need a Savior. And we respond to that. Now you say, well, what about after we get saved? He will also show me sin after I get saved. He will convince me of sin. He will say, Troy, those words that just came out of your mouth, those are inappropriate. That's not what I have for you. And I will acknowledge to him, I agree, or I'll choose not to, and I'll go my own way. But this is this ongoing work that the Holy Spirit does. He convinces of sin. Primarily before we get saved, but he continues to do this after we get saved. But his purpose of convincing me of sin is not to beat me into righteousness. Notice what it says here in this next verse. In verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now, that is a strange statement. If we're going to interpret this as you need to try harder to do better. If we're going to interpret it that way, we need to lead, lead a more righteous life. We need to be gooder. It's bad English, but it gets the point across. All right. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says he's going to convince you of righteousness because I leave and you won't see me again, but I go to the Father. What is he saying? He's going to remind you continuously that I have paid it all and that I am seated at the right hand of the Father. I am making intercession for you. I became sin who knew no sin that you might become the righteousness of God. He's saying you're not working harder to try to be righteous. The Holy Spirit's constantly reminding you I've already made you righteous. That's who I am. And I'm gone to prove that. I, but I have completed the work. I've completed the task. The Holy Spirit is going to keep reminding you of this. Does that mean we should try to do the wrong thing? No. But the Holy Spirit keeps reminding me and teaching me, I do not attain righteousness by my own effort. It was a gift that was given to me. It was paid for by Jesus. Now notice what he says. And then there's judgment to come. Concerning judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. That doesn't sound like we're getting judged. Do you realize that if Jesus has already been judged for your sin, you cannot be judged for them? Jesus has already been judged for them. He says the Holy Spirit's going to remind you that the ruler of this world is judged. Why? Because it looks like he's still in charge. It looks like he's still in control. Do you understand that Jesus took back control 2,000 years ago? Amen. And the matter of fact, John, John 12 tells us that the prince of this world has already been judged. Already. It's already a done deal. His end is sure. 
So I don't have to believe the devil's lies that I'm still in bondage, that I can't help it, that I have to live this way, that there is no hope, that I just got to, I'm just hanging on, struggling. I'm hanging on to the bitter end. I, I don't want to hang on to the bitter end. All right? That isn't my calling. It's not your calling to hang on to the bitter end. The enemy has been judged. Christ has won. His power, his righteousness is mine. His power is mine through the Holy Spirit. And I can live that way. I don't have to be afraid of virus. I don't have to be afraid of the stock market. All right? I don't even have to look at it, which is better right now. I don't even have to look at it. All right? I have power over whether I look at it or not. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about this world that my children are growing up in. I don't have to worry that it's way worse for them than it was for me. I don't have to worry. Why? Because the Holy Spirit reminds me constantly, Jesus has won and the enemy is defeated. Period. This is the helper. This is what the helper does. Now, he goes on in this passage. I still have many things to say to you, to you but you cannot bear them now. If you're a parent, you understand that. <laughs> you really do. You're thinking, There's so much more I need to tell you, but you're not ready for it yet. I can't tell you now. So he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, some of you may be thinking, this Trinity thing is confusing. Join the club, all right? It is. It is confusing. One God. There's only one God. We don't worship three gods. There's only one. Three persons, three personalities, if you will, three distinct persons, one God. But no competition, no rivalry, no hierarchy. But we say the scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He makes him known. Jesus glorifies the Father. He says, I only do what I hear the Father say. He glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies the Son. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus says, hey, it's better for you to leave because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's better for you. All right. And it's this continual circle. We don't understand that in human terms because we have rivalry and hierarchy and all those things. But it's not here, not in the Trinity. It's this beautiful picture. All working together. So it's not wrong to talk to the Holy Spirit and to speak to him as God, because he is God. Nor is it wrong to speak to Jesus or to pray in Jesus's name or to talk to my father. I can do all three. I am not disrespecting any because they all complement and agree. Now, here's the challenge that we have with the Holy Spirit. Is... If he's our helper, how do we receive his help? How do we know? There, it's been about 35 years ago now, maybe, maybe even 40. I was a teenager. And I had the privilege to go with my dad out on sea trials. We were taking one of the cruisers that he was responsible for. 
They're taken out on sea trials. The cruiser's a, it's a warship, about 600 feet long, two football fields, big ship. Lots of gadgetry on it, a lot of neat stuff. And, of course, again, today, this was 35, 40 years ago. Today, the liability would never allow me to be able to go. But back then, I had the privilege to be able to go, and I stayed with Dad and got to wander for several days. We wander around the ship, and I'm watching what's going on. I'm kind of taking it all in, and it's really cool, all right, for a kid watching all of this. I loved going into command and control, and it was like video games, you know, a little rollerball, and you could find things, and it'd tell you what it was, and radar. I mean, it was just really cool, and they shoot guns, and things go off, and blow up stuff, and it was really nice, all right? I mean, it's, it's really cool. Every man went, yes, I want to do that, all right? And some of you ladies, too. I, 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 you, you can like that, too, all right? Anybody can like it, all right? So... We're coming back in after several days, and I notice this little boat comes out and meets this great old big cruiser. And someone moves from this little boat onto the big cruiser on the big ship. Comes up there into, onto, in command and control up on the bridge. And the captain is still there. All the crew's still there. They're still doing, because they're, they're, they're executing all that needs to be done on that ship, and they know it. They know their ship. They know what needs to be done. But as we're coming back into the mouth of the Pascagoula River, which is where the shipyard was, there are all kinds of strange currents, tides coming and going, currents that are pulling in opposite directions. And then there's some sandbars there near the mouth of the river. Now, there's places where you can go through, and it's perfectly safe, even for a large ship like this. But if you don't know what's there... You'll run up on one of those sandbars, and so you've got this billion-dollar ship sitting up there just, just stuck on a sandbar. It's very embarrassing for everybody when that happens. I watch, because I'm, I'm standing back here, so I'm watching. So this man comes on. He's called a pilot. Some places he's called a harbor pilot. Some places he's called a river pilot. But often, just a pilot, but he doesn't fly an airplane. He comes in because he is an expert on these waters. But he didn't just come in and take over. It was the thing that was amazing to me. He didn't come in and say, Captain, get out of the way. I got it from here. He didn't tell everybody. No, he really kind of just stood back. And he would softly mention to the captain, he'd say, I would, I'd move three degrees starboard and cut speed to two knots. And the captain would say, three degrees starboard, go to two knots. And then he'd give another instruction. Again, just gently, Captain I would recommend you do this. And they would do that. That is a perfect, well, not perfect, nothing's perfect in this life. But it's a good picture of how the Holy Spirit works in our life. He hears his, his voice gently saying, I'd move three degrees starboard. If you don't know what starboard is, he'll, he'll speak in your language, okay? <laughs> You need to slow down here. You need to speed up here. And if I'll humble myself, because that captain could have said, I am the captain of the ship. I have years of expertise. I mean, I have met some really important people. I know a lot of stuff. But in that situation, all of that doesn't matter. None of it matters. 
What matters is who knows the mouth of that river. That's all that matters. The pilot knows that. He's the expert there. And he's gently saying, do this. And you and I humble ourselves and say, yes, Lord, I'll do that. We all have to do it. Whether it's doing multiple services, whether it's words that we choose to speak or the Holy Spirit says don't speak or speak it this way, or moves in career, or direction in relationships, that gentle voice saying, move this way. He's our helper. He wants to do that. He's always doing that, if we'll allow him. Years ago, I'm going to ask Lori to come and in the worship team. Years ago, probably about 15 years ago, as I began this journey of really learning who the Holy Spirit is, Robert Morris shared something, and it's really stood out to me, and I haven't forgotten it all these years. He just went through and began to talk about the Holy Spirit and what the Scripture says, but in just regular terms, all kind of condensed together. I want to share it with you because this morning, I want you with me to honor the Holy Spirit for who He is. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and through us on earth. The Holy Spirit hears, speaks, teaches, and guides us into all truth. He glorifies Christ, receives of Christ, shows us Christ, and brings all of Christ's words to our remembrance. It was better for us that Jesus left so that the Holy Spirit would come. He shows us things to come. He knows the deep things of God. He searches all things and he reveals them to us. Lying to him is called lying to God. Where he is, there is liberty. The writers of the Bible spoke as they were moved by him. We are warned not to grieve him or quench him. The sin against him is unpardonable. Why? Because he is the only one who can reveal to us the Son, and apart from the Son, we cannot be saved. Unless we are born again by the Spirit, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. We are convicted by him, born again by him, led by him, filled with him, and sealed by him. He is God. That's who he is. But my experience for many years, he was the left out one. He was the God I didn't know. I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for any of us. My challenge to you this morning For some of you, you may be in the place I was at 15 years ago where this morning you need to repent, to acknowledge, Holy Spirit, I haven't really known who you are. Maybe I've been fearful. Maybe I've been ignorant. Maybe I've just been stubborn. But today I repent. I acknowledge that you are God, very God. That Jesus said it was better for him to go so that you would come that you live in me and that you help me and that you guide me. Why don't you close your eyes with me for just one moment. And maybe you know who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe you've had 
encounters and just experience walking with him. But there are areas even now today where you're being resistant to him, to his help. You will not humble yourself. I would challenge you this morning, repent. Repent. Say, Lord, I acknowledge, Holy Spirit, that you are in me and that you are God, that you are my helper. I cannot do this Christian life without you. I can't know Jesus without you. I can't know truth without you. I cannot speak words filled with grace and truth without you. I can't love without you. I can't be at peace without you. You are my helper. Lord, I pray for us as your people today. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would guide us. You would speak to us and that you would pour out grace so that we would humble ourselves to listen to that gentle voice when you speak and say, go this way, stop here, speed up there. Reach out. Believe me. Lord, help us believe today in every way. us, Holy Spirit, to look like Stephen, where it said in Scripture he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be full, saturated, soaked with you. We ask for, believe you for it, in multiplied ways in this body of believers and beyond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. In just a moment when we dismiss, we always have prayer partners. If we can pray with you about anything in your life, whatever it is, it's our privilege to be able to do that. I want to thank you for being part of this today, this very first nine o'clock service. And I want to challenge you with all my heart. If the Holy Spirit is just a concept, a theological concept to you, I, I plead with you, press in, get to know him. Know him as God. 